0: Welcome to interrevolutionary Radio with your host Helen Hillocks. I'm Todd Benton your co-host. Today's topic work, housework money and fun the invisible connection that keeps us down an interview with Beth Green. in 1950 guest Beth Green heard a popular song lucky 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 me. I'm a lucky son of a gun. I work eight hours, I sleep eight hours and I have eight hours of fun. You wanna sing it, Beth?
1: <laughs> lucky, lucky, lucky me, I'm a lucky son of a gun. I work eight hours, I sleep eight hours, I have eight hours of fun.
0: <laughs> cool, thank you, because I had no idea what it sounded <laughs> yeah, like. Just, uh,
1: this <laughs> that was is great. For real. I that mean was this, great. Is for real. this is a song.
0: Yes. So yes. even as a child, Beth was baffled by those words. People worked eight hours and they certainly slept eight hours, but they definitely didn't have eight hours for fun. Who does? This little ditty shows the lie that we live every day. The lie that work is what we get paid for. This narrow definition ignores all the unpaid work we do every day and disguises how housework and relaxation are connected to work. Aren't we either getting ourselves ready for work, recovering from work, helping others function at work, avoiding work, or raising the next generation of workers?
2: I like the avoiding work part. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: I would like to have that more. <laughs> <laughs> <Me too. laughs>
0: Beth says the way we've been taught to connect work with money has led to the disempowerment of men and women, blinded us to our overwork, and kept us divided and down. So, what do we do? Let's start by revolutionizing the conversation about work right now. Call in if you can. Helen?
2: Thank you, you. Todd. I can't wait to get into this conversation. I do have a couple of very short news articles. Um, One of them is from uh, Eric, I believe, a listener who sent it to us. It's in a media outlet called Think Progress. And the title is Kentucky Coal Company Announces Plans to Build the State's Largest Solar Farm. And I'm not going to go into the details. It, you know, it's really it's not as good as it sounds, oh. Oh. <laughs> because they they're still trying to mine coal at the same time, but they are facing the inevitable that renewable energies are
1: uh, the future.
2: The future, absolutely. And that they're going to have to transfer over to it at some point. And they're also facing that their workers don't have any jobs. And, you know, they used to have 14,500 or something, and now they have 3000. And that Trump's promises to bring back the coal industry, everybody, including the coal executives and the Republicans, say that it's going to make very little difference. So, they're facing the, the reality that that they're going to have to, to move over to renewable energies. But I thought it was inter-revolutionary in that, you know, it does acknowledge the oneness that, you know, even if they don't want to, they are part of the one that's, that's <laughs> moving to renewable energy and they are accountable. They're accountable to try to, to um, help their workers and they're doing what's for the highest good of all in that one way. And I wanted to say that I think it relates so much to what you're going to talk about today and about an upcoming event that we have in the inner uh, which is No More Divide and Conquer. And I want to weave that in because I think that there, there are a lot of things that you're going to say today that are going to prepare us for that event on May 6th. And it is a three-hour event called No More Divide and Conquer, Let's Tell the Real Story. And I, I'll tell a little bit more about it later, but I... To me, this even this coal industry article is about that. You know, it's about the money,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you know they're facing the reality that it's about the money, and they can't do it the old way. And I know you're going to be talking a lot more about that. So that's all I want to say about that article. And then there was one uh, about that uh, in EcoWatch that says scientists say only ten years left to save the planet, and. It also is, is you know, it's an alarming article, but it does definitely call us to accountability and the the whole oneness, accountability, and mutual support principles are woven all the way through it in that you cannot get away from climate change. I don't care who you are, (laughs) that you are in the oneness and we are all accountable. (laughs) And if we don't get our heads out of you-know-where and, you know... (laughs) put them where the sun shines, we're all going to go down if we don't do something drastic in 10 years. So the, yeah. the good news is that they're talking about there are lots of places where they are moving to 100% renewable energy and that people are waking up and they have a lot of recommendations that they said would be a big push, but that it actually could happen, that it would keep it down to 1.5 uh, raise, rise in temperature, 1.5 Celsius rise in temperature. And uh, that's you know that's what we need to have. So I thought that was uh, also a a hopeful article. And then one more that Todd actually sent in from Fast Company that's talking about is your money in a bank that's doing something good with it? And I'm not going to go into the specifics, but there are big differences in banks. and I'm going to certainly look into that. Um, as I go along here, that there are federally certified community development financial institutions, which are CDfis, institutions that specialize in providing capital and basic financial services to historically marginalized communities. And I want to look look that up because i I really feel like, again, this is interrevolutionary. We've got to think about everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Stop There's- thinking about only the rich people. There's a,
0: there's a bank out of Oakland called Beneficial Bank, and they're one of the, I think, three banks that was identified in the article that are B corporations, which is, you know, stands for triple bottom line, people, profit, and planet. And um, Christine and I are looking into that. Um, we, we, you know, we they have, even though they're based in Oakland and they don't have uh, branches everywhere, they have mobile banking and they have ATMs where you can make deposits. So we're going for it.
2: Well, I'm, I'm interested to hear how that goes because I, I really believe in that concept. Again, if we're in the oneness, so I want to shift out of the news. I, I thought those articles were interesting, and they are yeah, a lot great. a lot about the economy and you know how renewable energies are growing. I think it said 12.5 times faster than the economy is growing. Mm-hmm. So again, it's about the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to start out, Beth, by welcoming you, thanking you so much for being with us today. You're oh, always you. such a delight to have on the show. Thank you. And I always know it's going to be a fabulous show <laughs> and that I can just relax because you're going to provide such rich, rich content. And all I have to do is ask a couple of stupid questions. So
1: <laughs> No, you ask I, great I agree. questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Todd. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> I, I love being your guest. I don't it's not know about if the I've
0: stupid questions. No, I wasn't agreeing about that.
1: So <laughs> no, I I don't know if I've ever been a guest to, for the to the two of you before.
2: Well, sure, every time we're on, Todd It's always
1: been I really I tough. don't re, I don't remember Todd co-hosting the other shows, but you see that shows you that my memory is aging.
2: Well, and <laughs> that you don't need much of a mind oh, to goodness. be able to intuit <laughs> the brilliant things you say. So we don't even have to rely on that. We don't. Thank God. Uh, exactly. Thank God. Exactly. Thank God. We don't have yeah. to have a memory. But what I would like you to do, Beth, is to talk a little bit to start with about how you came to the perspectives that you have about work and money and you know all the things that you said uh, when you were describing what the show is going to be about. I'm fascinated to have the audience hear about that, because I know it started a long time ago. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, um, you know, when I was younger, uh, and that's, I mean, just about everybody is younger than I am, except those who are. (laughs) (laughs) but When when I was younger, um, I I was a socialist, uh, meaning I was really for the you know against income inequality power inequality is really a, a true egalitarian democratic perspective which was what i was hoping for and that's not like the soviet union or china or any of that so um i studied marx and marx was just like he's so brilliant and what he did described, he had a different idea of what the value of a thing was. See, we have a tendency to think about something in terms of its price. Oh, what is its value? Oh, that's worth $25. That's worth $25,000. Of course, the irony is that the thing that's worth $25 might actually be worth a lot more than the thing (laughs) that you have to pay $25,000 for, right?
2: That is such an unbelievable point you're making right there. Such an unbelievable point. I mean, I was telling you before... You went on about that, that I was hiking before this this radio show, yeah. And that is priceless to me. My access yes. to nature, and I know yes. it is to you, Beth. Yeah, I know it is to you. I mean, you know, and and it's just free walking out the door, and yet it is priceless. So I love that point already.
1: Oh, thank you. So what we're what we see is what when Marx talked about value, he called value. Um, essentially, this is the story. How much labor it took in order to create it. This is what gives something its value in terms of labor power. So, for example, a diamond, why is it worth 80 gazillion dollars? Well, a diamond is worth 80 gazillion dollars. And I'm sort of paraphrasing Marx and sort of extrapolating and trying to make it all very down to earth. You know, it's worth 80 gazillion dollars because it takes so much to get it out of the earth. If the diamonds were falling off the trees they would have no value. Right? Everybody right. would go out and they'd be collecting right. diamonds. It right. would be like sand.
2: Right? Exactly. Exactly.
1: So but it takes 80 gazillion dollars to get those diamonds and the blood of so many, you know, people who die in the mines and then the transportation and You know, what does it take to get it from point A to point B? And if you think about all the labor that goes into that, that's what Marx was talking about as the value of something. So if you think about life that way, everything is sort of turned upside down because the price and the value are not necessarily commensurate, but it is true that you can charge a higher price for something that you can't just go out yourself and go dig out under the, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in your garden. Go out and pick up a diamond somewhere. So there is some relationship, but it is not the way we think about it. That's what it takes for us collectively as a society to produce a diamond. And then it has to be cut. And then it has to be retailed. And it has to be in the store or it has to be on you know Costco or whatever. So all of a sudden, there seems to be, when you start thinking from that perspective, there is some real meaning to value it means something it's not just some number that's thrown out arbitrarily and that ultimately if it is very easy to mine diamonds for example and the price is super high then everybody's going to run out and start mining diamonds and then the price is going to fall because the real value of it is still what it takes to produce it you see what i mean But um, it's not easy to mine diamonds. So no matter how high the price is, it's not gonna be so easy. And of course there's, we don't live in a free market society anyway, and there is going to be all kinds of things that get in the way of, there's gonna be cartels and stuff like that. Okay, but this is just to give an, uh, an overview. So now let's say, well then, what is the value of labor power? You know, what does it take to create the labor that brings that out of the earth? And for that, the realization around that came to me from a person in 1974. I met Selma James, who was a Marxist, and um, she was a feminist. She was a Marxist feminist. And she said, you know, the value of what does it take to produce a worker to produce the diamond is everything that women do. You know, it's the unseen, unpaid labor, and that in a family where one person is working for money and the other one stays home and raises the children and makes lunch, and so on. Actually, when the when the guy goes to work, as it used to be, the guy right, <laughs> he goes to work, and then the um, the employer hires him, and he's paying him a wage, but he's really getting two people for the price of one. Because he's paying the wage to the husband, but if it weren't for the wife, the husband couldn't go to work. And, you know, especially when technology was less. I mean, you think about women, you know, washing their clothes by the river. And uh, we didn't have refrigeration and we didn't have all of these so-called conveniences, which we still are breaking our backs over. But still, you know, there's no vacuum cleaner. And the raising of children, it's all very, very labor intensive and very time consuming. And it takes all of that to get the guy to work. Now, this showed up, in fact, in slavery, in the whole discussion of slavery. If you don't, should I go into this? I, I think so. Let me just give you yes. a little bit of thought yes. about this. You know, there was a time when the slave trade was legal and... um When the slave trade was legal, it was cheaper to uh, get a slave, harvest the slave from Africa where that slave, man or woman, had already been raised by the society, right? Steal that person, bring them to the West Indies or the American South or wherever, right? And then after you treat them badly, use them up. They're dead, no medical care, No nothing good, right? They're dead, and you just replace them with the next person that you import. Now, what happens when the price of slaves goes up, like when they started to slow down the slave trade, or it became, you know, there was a lot of opposition, and so on? Well, then you had to keep the slaves alive, right? Right. <laughs> so... It's all about the money. It's all about the money. Follow the money. And so it, it was true. And so that slavery at that time, let's say, in the American South was a little different from slavery in the West Indies where you would go through slaves like water because the, the British, you know, brought another slave over. Who cares, right? Here today, gone tomorrow. Here's another <sighs> I mean, wow. it's gross, but it's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. So anyway, this is such a prime example Of what the distortion, but the reality of the value of labor is somebody's got to raise that child. Somebody has to educate the next child, the next worker. Now, as our society has become, I'll get back to Selma in a minute. As our society has become more and more complicated, and being a worker becomes more and more complicated. Well, you know, you can't just go work in a factory for 15 hours a day and then keel over and be a worker who reads, who can follow schematics. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, is working computers, people working in the office. And so it's like it's not like that. People need education. And one of the reasons that American workers have tended to command higher wages is because the level of industry and the level of productivity of the worker was actually higher with the level of education. And workers, you know, what is a worker? It's not just somebody who is a blue-collar worker who breaks his back or her back, it's all kinds of workers. There's white-collar workers. There's uh, scientists who are workers for industry. There's all kinds of people who need all kinds of skills. All of that is the reproduction of you know, labor power. And Selma said women do most of this work and because it's done for free, what's the result of that? Number one, the husband has to keep his job, and this is why I said that the husband is also enslaved. Men and women have been enslaved by this system. Because if he loses his job, if he goes on strike, what's going to happen? You know, the whole family is going to starve. But if both people had wages, had money, we were doing the wages for housework campaign because we were trying to do two things. We were trying to make people aware of the fact that housework is work. And literally work. It's the work that goes into creating the laborer to go to work every day, or the next generation of laborers. And, of course, women have a tendency to have to do that and reproduce themselves every day. See, it's about reproduction, right? And so we were trying to point out that this is all work, and it all comes out in the profit of the guy who owns the factory,
2: can you, say, uh, can you say a little bit more about the reproduction aspect? I,
1: I yeah. So the word for it, let me just make the second point, though, and then I will definitely come back to that. And if I don't, you know it's my brain and you'll remind me, right, that there were two points. One is to, to show what work really is, that, that housework is work. And the other thing we were trying to do is to give women power because if the woman is working to support the man to go to work, and he has all the income in his name coming to him, he thinks he's King Tut, and he can get rid of that wife, right? Turn her in for another one. Uh, So the the women did not have any power because we didn't have our own money. We couldn't say, I don't like my husband, I'm going to leave. You know, it's like, what am I going to do? How many people have you seen, Helen, as a counselor who had several children and were afraid to say anything to an abusive father because if without him, she would starve? Of course, Mm -hmm. that has been changing over the years as women are working two jobs now, inside the home and outside the home. And that, of course, has revolutionized a lot, but we are still seeing the results of the powerlessness of women based on the fact that women did not have control of their own money and it's not just the women who you know were working in the home not getting money i mean as you know it wasn't that long ago that a married woman didn't even own the clothes on her back so the whole legal system everything was there to disempower women but in fact it disempowered men because it made them slaves to their bosses Now, so when you think about reproduction, most people think of reproduction as, uh, yeah, we do it, we get it on, and uh, we get pregnant, and then we have the baby. Well, that's nothing compared to the next 18 years of hard labor, (laughs) of keeping that baby alive and educating that baby. I mean, today, people are worrying about their baby's retirement fund, (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not college education. What Mm -hmm. you know? What are they going to do? And so the reproduction, reproduction is way beyond the way we see it. It's the working class and the capitalist class. The you know the owners, the workers, all of the the people, the salesmen, the shopkeepers, everybody in the system has to be reproduced first from childhood to adulthood but also on a daily basis. So we make an investment in our children so that they can go and produce value in our society. And we also need to reproduce ourselves, which is what we do worst, probably. What, is, what do you mean when you say we have
2: to reproduce on a daily basis?
1: Well, if you didn't eat, how long could you work? Not very long. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you didn't have a bathroom, if you didn't have water, if you had no clothing, if you had ne- no heat, you know, you all of these things that we consume. Because another thing that Marx said is he was distinguishing. Now, you know, this is my memory. Laugh at me. You know, maybe Marx didn't. I'm pretty sure Marx actually said that. He said that there is no distinction between consumption and production. So we have a tendency to think of ourselves as consumers, but the people who are at work in the factory are producers. But actually, production is consumption and consumption is production. Now, this is stuff that I read when I was like 20 years old, and that was 57 years ago. Okay, so, but I'm pretty sure this was the idea. So how is production consumption and consumption production? Well, at the moment that you are eating food that allows you to go to work or sleeping or relaxing, which allows you to regenerate so that you can go to work. You are not a consumer. You this is all part of the cycle of production.
2: That's a a novel way of looking at it for yes. sure.
1: It's a oneness way of looking at it. This it is, is what a I oneness love.
2: Way. You know yeah. This,
1: yeah. I mean one of the things about you know Marxism and we're talking about Marxism now, right? You know, Marx was a social commenter and a humanitarian and a an economist and a philosopher all in one. You know, and he was looking very carefully at what was going on in his societies. And in the mid-19th century, he, he looked at the rebellions that were happening, the Paris Commune and so on. And he was basing a lot of his ideas of socialism and communism in terms of what he saw people do. So, if you have a working class, which is like you know, their people are getting together, they're all workers, and they have the same same interest. And his point was is that if there were no classes in society then everyone would have the same interest and we would all support each other. But when you have classes of society where some people own the means of production and others are just working, then you've got a setup where you have a conflict. Now, you have to be really enlightened to realize that there is no conflict. If you're paying, and this is what the current administration absolutely is dedicated to not understanding. Mm -hmm. If people don't have... Good health, hospitals, free health care or reasonably cost health care. clean air, clean water, clean food, they can't produce. And they can't consume. And they can't consume. they don't have the money to buy the product and they can't go to work. And then you have start having you know children with uh, brains of lead, right? that have been impacted by lead poisoning, and they are not going to be your nuclear scientists of the next era. You know, you, can't, you cannot poison your people and think that they're going to be productive. See, and everybody needs to have a decent life in order to have a truly productive society. And I would say even on an emotional level, we can say that people who are tense, fearful, stressed, tend to be more anxious, they might be drinking or taking drugs or just like freaking out. I know that when I'm stressed, I can't think straight. People don't think straight. And all we're trying to do is produce profit. Profit and productivity do not necessarily go hand in hand.
2: Talk about that, would you? Well, Profit and productivity
1: do not go hand in hand. Right, because profit is short term. You know, in the egoic way of thinking that we have in our heads, um, you know, you want to produce a profit for your uh, your shareholders, for example. And so what that means is buy cheap, sell dear. I mean, it's, a, it's pretty simple, right? So if you're buying raw materials, you want to buy them cheap. And if you're buying laborers, you want to buy them cheap. Always the drive to push down wages and to push down the cost. When we interviewed Andrew, not Andrew Morgan. Young, Morgan. Morgan, yes. <laughs> you Close. know, yeah, right. <laughs> Andrew Young, another era, another fight. Um, That's right. You're right. It's something, I won't even try. SCLC. So um, when you're, you're, um, you know, when I you, can't remember when you interviewed
2: Andrew Morgan.
1: Yeah, we were talking about uh, how much pressure there is even on the people who don't necessarily want to lower their wages. But they have to because somebody else is going to find some other nation that they can pollute more or th- where the workers will work for less. So when you have world economy, a global economy, there is uh, always this divine tension where the companies are always looking for the cheapest labor. At the same time, they need skilled cheapest labor. And then they need healthy laborers. So so let's say they go in and they pollute the rivers in India. Well, they can go to Cambodia. They don't have to reproduce the river, but you see everything needs to be reproduced. Housework is the essence of the reality, I mean, that's what life is all about. It's about our rivers need to be reproduced. Our fields need to be reproduced. Uh, you know, our food is not just, oh, yeah, let's go in there and grab all the wheat we can today and leave the, the land fallow and dead. You know, dump pesticides for the quick fix, and then you have soil that can't support life.
2: Right And then they move on to some other, like just like you said, those to some yeah. other plot of land, and then that farmer drinks pesticide to kill himself because he's there's no future,
1: right. right. And so it's all about life is reproduction. We tend to think of it as the next generation, but in fact, it is in the now. If we don't get enough rest, if we don't have any relaxation, if we don't have love, which we desperately need, if we don't have all the things of life that keep us being the workers that we are, we will not be able to function. And so the power of the American worker in the past was that the American worker... (coughs) was educated, and was skilled, and had, was well reproduced. And you cannot substitute slaves for that. Slaves who have no even relationship to it. And one of the sad things that has happened, of course, is because of industrialization. People have become more and more alienated. This is another thing that Marx talked about. I had no idea I was going to talk about Marx today. Did you? Me neither. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, this is another thing that you know, that Marx was talking about. He was talking about workers becoming alienated from the product of their labor and how meaningless life becomes, how when you were a shoemaker, you, you made a shoe, you, you had a sense of what you had done. You know, you put your love and your life into it, and maybe you even knew your customer. But when you're on an assembly line and all you're doing is turning a screw... You right. have no relationship. You don't even know what you're making. You don't care. You don't have that right. sense of pride. Uh, it's kind of like renting a life instead of owning one. Yes. So oh. you see what I'm saying about, and and yet, did you learn any of this?
2: I didn't. In school, no. Yeah, no. I've only I, learned it from you.
1: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and yet, it's such common sense, isn't it? Yep. So I mean
2: uh, it's so appalling the the terrible way that our society has vilified Marx and yes. socialism and you know as a lot of other countries have not I mean a lot of the european countries have so much socialism as part of their culture yeah. and everybody appreciates it and they're and they're so much happier yeah, and yet we have been taught to vilify Marx and socialism and communism, and you know, ooh, they're so bad. Yeah, and yet you know, it's really the only way. It's it's really the only way to for everyone to have their
1: needs met. Right, exactly, and uh, for us to realize that we're in this thing together and you know where we where i think selma james went beyond marx was talking about the value of housework and we're talking beyond selma because we're going beyond sex race and class and we're talking about how everybody in our society is chewed up yes. by the same system that the um, the the the, uh, the executives they need to be reproduced too they need somebody to make them be able to get it get up the next morning and go face another 14 hour day of stress and competition. You know we're we're in a death society. I you know it's so clear like you were talking about the connection with nature, Helen. We don't even value we we don't value anything. We we don't value the air we breathe until it kills us. Yeah. Because everything is monetized. everything in our capitalist society is just without um, any value if there's no money attached. You know one of the things we've talked about before is how we don't go and take the jobs and go for the careers that we really should, because they're insecure financially. Or they don't make money, or they don't have status. I mean, how many people uh, go get an college education in order to clean houses? Everybody's right. idea is that you're going to do this in order to escape cleaning houses.
2: Yeah, and how many of those kids recently, you know, during the recession, you know, did end up cleaning houses because their college education was worth nothing?
1: That's right. That's right. And I see it when in young people. They're worrying about what they're going to major in because they're worrying about their careers and they're 13 years old. You know, they're not even trying to get educated. And education is part of the, our reproduction of our own civilization. So we don't get it. Even when we feel the need for, oh, I've got to take a break. I've got to go on vacation, right? So you're going to work your ass off all year long. And then you're going to take off two weeks. You know, in Europe, there are many people, many nations where people have many weeks off. Because you can't reproduce. But you see, our working class was really, um, to some degree, disempowered during the McCarthy era when they went after the communists. They were really going after the unions. They were really right. going after the workers. Now, right. I'm not for this continuing battle between the workers and the owners. And I mean, I'm not for that either. You know, I'm, I'm in this in, with the attitude of we're all in this together. We all need to be reproduced. We all need what nurtures and regenerates us. And how many of us have that? And we don't even respect it when we do we don't realize that this is as essential a part of functioning in a world as it is a part of our pleasure and happiness and oh by the way is there something wrong with happiness i mean don't you think that has something to do with how productive we are
0: yeah that's sure so does. profound it's so profound the um What you're saying, you know, I'm really taking it in and it just, it ripples into everything. The geopolitical situation that we're in right now. I mean, it's just fascinating how everything is affected by this paradigm, the the paradigm that we hold.
1: That's exactly right, Todd. It's like the wool has been pulled over our eyes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And as long as you could get powerless people to do your housework, like you had slaves, black slaves or uh, black women doing housework and so on. So you have race as well as class, as well as gender, all putting down housework, which is the essence of civilization because it's the essence of our reproduction.
0: Yes, and we have it entirely backwards, you know, what we're investing in. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Can you talk, Beth, about how you envision or if you envision uh, a structure that would be different?
1: Uh, You know, that's so interesting. You said how I would envision and if I I would envision. Frankly, I don't. I don't envision. I... uh, I, I feel that what we need to do, Helen, is we need to make people aware of what is true. You know, just like the eternal truths, we need our spirituality, that the connection to the infinite, whether we're religious or not. We need compassion which is the love that is the glue that holds society together. We need to have a circulation of money so that people can actually go out and get what they need. And we need a whole new value system where the things that are important become valued. That something isn't valued because it takes the blood of 20 men to get it out of the earth. You know, what makes this more valuable than that? So much of it is just fashion, you know or or how much how much it hurts someone to get it, like diamonds, I'm thinking um, right so I mean it's like how do we shift people into valuing what we need is we have to start looking at what we need and value it you know they can th- there's, there's a joke you're either people are either singing um. You can't buy love and, you know, love is what makes the world go round. Or they're singing the opposite, money, 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 you know, money. Right. And that what we don't have is that recognition that it is love that nurtures us so that we can work to get the money so we can get the things that we need that nurture us if we ever did. I mean, we would stand up in droves If, if we woke up to this. We would stand up in droves and say, let's stop producing things that have no value. Let's stop with this planned obsolescence. Right. You know, we have, in addition to this going on, we've had a simultaneous automation of um, our economy. So we have people still you know, breaking their backs in the fields and at the same time we have machines that can produce things in, you know, 20 seconds that used to take, you know, a a month to make. And why aren't we wealthy? See, the whole world could be wealthy because we have the capacity to produce things at such a fast speed, but we can't have that because we have to have a class society where somebody has more money than somebody else. (laughs) So that we know, you know, so that we're important, so that the ego could be happy, so we can, you know, we can have a hierarchy, and we could be on the top of it, right? And yet,
2: the and yet the countries where there is less classification of people they are happier and we, we we just don't seem to get it you, you know, know the countries that are talking Sweden and Denmark I think are, are talking about having a universal yeah. income and you know you know the idea that if everybody had a universal income the studies have shown they would not be slackers. Right. They would actually, it's exactly what you're saying, you know, they would actually feel loved and nurtured and able to reproduce themselves and be more effective and more productive.
1: That's right. And our country is going in the opposite direction because you have a president and a party which is absolutely determined to keep all the resources going to the top. No matter what they tell us, we know that that's what's going on. And they, they have got themselves... Maybe some of them sincerely believe that trickle-down economics works, but I've never seen it, and I lived through Ronald Reagan, and I did not see anything that looked like the value of trickle-down economics, and then we saw George Bush and his many tax breaks for the rich, which ended up in you know creating nothing but economic havoc. It is the wrong perspective. It's all wrong, but we do not value ourselves, our hearts, our souls. And we don't value one another's souls and hearts and selves. And we have to stand up and speak about these kinds of things. And those people who have been convinced that, uh, what's his face, our president, uh, whose name suddenly, oh yes, Donald Trump. (laughs) 45. That... That he's trying to promote this idea that he's going to bring back these jobs by giving breaks to the already existing wealthy. And we know it's not true, just as you were talking about with the coal industry. It is not true. What brings jobs, we don't need to bring back jobs that kill. We don't need to bring back black lung disease. We don't need to pollute the rivers and the streams and leave a legacy for the next generation because we are not reproducing we're not letting the earth reproduce itself because we we constantly jeopardize the the uh, the earth all of the 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 animals the vegetables the plants the birds mm-hmm You know, the wildlife, the trees. I mean, our world is in way worse shape than it has ever been. And we have more money. So obviously, reproduction is very low on our list. That we don't recognize that, that we don't take that as a given that you can do no harm. That that is our first requirement is to do no harm. Now, I know that... You know, that there are things that have improved for us in some ways. I have air conditioning. I didn't have air conditioning when I was a child. It sucked, (laughs) right? You know, there are so many. I didn't have it either. (laughs) I'm sure you didn't. Uh, And we didn't have, you know, computers, which I love, I love computers and all the productivity and all the self-expression that they can give us. And there are many things that we have today which we did not have that make life good and make life better. And I'm not against that. I'm saying that we need to remember you can't use up the worker. You can't use up the earth and think it's still going to be producing. Now, everybody gets old. At least some people do. And um, I have no intention of ever getting old. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, we all use ourselves up in some way or another. You know, if you're not breaking your back, laying bricks, you're breaking your eyeballs looking at a computer screen. Or your back is hurting because you're too sedentary. You know, every way that life uh, gets easier physically, it also, uh, you know, everything... It comes with a price. Everything. But that's natural. I don't mind some wear and tear. But when you take a person and you throw them in an automobile factory and deliberately allow there to be safety violations so that that worker is going to lose an arm, that's not normal wear and tear. No, That's abuse. If you did it to a machine, you'd be hung up. And, you know, people would say, what have you done to your car? You've run it into the ground. But we run ourselves into the ground and we run each other into the ground with this expectation that we will go out there and produce money and value in society, but not true value.
0: Right. It's kind of a it's a false value of status and um, something that is you know, fake.
1: Absolutely. Like, yeah. who needs ten different dresses that look exactly the same? But, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of a woman I knew who had a walk-in closet that she must have had a hundred t-shirts, you know, a, mostly black and white. And I, I remember looking at that thinking, what?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's certainly not about need.
1: No, the, that's the esp- sp- That's right. The fast fashion thing was what I was going to talk about, but I completely got blocked on it. It's yes. like we buy things that have, that are not made well, that are not meant to last, and that to pollute the environment and hurt the workers. That's not reproduction, guys. That's not yeah. food and clothing and love and education and all the things we really need and opportunities and exploration and intelligent conversation and honesty.
0: I've got you know, a question. If we went toward a universal basic income, I, I'm thinking about this. You know, it seems like a great step. Or, but if we didn't change the paradigm, I don't know how much of a difference that would make.
1: I think that's a very good point, Todd. That's why I'm not out advocating for this, that, or the other thing. I'm advocating for a shift in our consciousness so yeah. that we can experiment with different things and see how they are. You know, when you're. Uh, Selma said something, or I said it, I don't remember. I was disabled then when I when I met her, and we were. I was in the, the Wages for Housework campaign as the West Coast coordinator for four years, and uh, we were looking at what is the value of the disabled, you know, what, what work do the disabled do in our world, because we have our world now divided between workers and non-workers, right, and if you're not a worker, like if you're just raising children, you're a slug. Uh, and, and women who are reproducing children for the next generation are treated, you know, like, you know, well, welfare is like the worst thing you can be on, right? And, um, you know, I was looking at the issue of disability myself and uh, as well, having been disabled then. And it was that one of the values that we had uh, to the rest of the world, and I could just feel the pain of this, is we were the whip that kept everybody working. You know the 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 money for disability was so low that nobody ever wanted to be disabled, and so people would rather drug themselves so that they can continue working to make a living, than ev- having to end up on disability and being that poor. Ah, uh, wow! So we were like the threat. This could happen to you.
2: I mean, there's still a lot of that around. Oh yes, absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah, that has not changed.
2: No. You were talking a minute ago about, you know, that we need to explore. We need to have the freedom to explore different ways of, and I love that about you, that you're not advocating, you know, that we have to have a universal basic income or we have to have this or we have to have that. It's so much more about exploring, you know, what what might work. And, yes. It has to be based on consciousness, and it has to be based on the three principles of the inner revolution. It has to be based on oneness, the needs of everyone, and accountability that we've got to take everyone's needs into consideration including the earth and the animals and the plants as you were saying yeah and we have to have mutual support of you know support supporting the whole so that the whole can support us Mm -hmm. and you know we don't know what that might look like really i mean people have different ideas but i i love the fact that you don't espouse one particular solution because who knows yeah who knows what we could come up with if everybody were working working with those three principles uh,
1: yes yes, and if if we could s- just change people's view of work, housework and fun and realize that they are one <laughs> that say, say its, more well, work housework and fun they're all part of the reproduction of, of the human species as we've been talking about this whole time going out and producing an item of clothing and going home and eating dinner and relaxing and you know f- feeling fulfilled as a human being, all of these reproduce us as workers. They reproduce our world. So right. they are really one.
0: Yes, so it, there's a quality. Uh, I, what I'm hearing is there's a quality to our... To our lived experience, where we bring so much more to everything, if all those things come together and um, support us, that we're whole, that we're that we feel good about ourselves. You know, when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, you're you're wanting to fight your way to the top, or you're accepting that p- position that you're in. You're not in a state of like of joy and well being.
1: No. <laughs> Right. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And, I mean, it's really just right down to it. As I said, if you didn't eat, you couldn't go to work. So if you didn't eat, you could, couldn't go to work. If you didn't sleep, you couldn't go to work. If you didn't relax, you'd freak, you'd flip, or you would be taking cocaine to keep you awake until you break down. If you think of life as a whole instead of as, as a series of distinct arenas, Living life from moment to moment. You know, when I became an intuitive so many years ago, um, Helen, I think you knew me. I all, I talked about life that way. It's the moment-by-moment moment experience of whatever I'm doing. It's all the same. It's whether I'm, you know, uh, you know, cooking a meal. Personally, I can't. Of course, we know I cannot cook a meal because I'm too sick. But, you know, if I were able to cook a meal. But if I'm eating that meal or I'm, you know, in a spiritual moment where I'm feeling uplifted and so that I still have a fight left within me, or I'm working with a client, or uh, I'm sitting and looking at the river. These are not distinct times. Life is a series of moments, all of which either reproduce us or kill us.
2: I love that. I really love that. You've been saying for a long time that, you know, we, we have to enjoy our lives to the best of our ability in every single moment and that you know it it doesn't matter what we're doing for work whether we're a a server in a restaurant or a house cleaner or the ceo of a company you know it's that moment by moment experience of our connection to ourselves our connection to higher consciousness our connection and relatability to other people You know, it's that moment by moment experience, just like you said, either we have a life that makes us feel drained and dissatisfied. And it's not about what we're doing, it's about how we're doing it.
1: That absolutely. You know what? When I'm working and I feel connected to people that I'm working with, I feel great. When I'm working with people and they hate me, (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel great. You of know, course not, and it's it's and that produce reproduces me. It's about if you want to look at reproduction in another way, re, it's 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 regeneration, but it's regeneration of the species. I need to regenerate. You need to regenerate, and our species needs to regenerate through having children, educating those children. I mean. It would be, if we all stopped having children, that would be the death sentence to the species, which might be a good thing. But do you see what I'm saying now about reproduction, regeneration? It's all of one piece. We need to feel connected to ourselves. We need to feel the joy of life. We need to be well. We need not to be standing up in factories. Uh, you know, slaves of machines, and I've had this experience. You know, when I worked in factories, I mean, you couldn't go to the bathroom when you when you wanted to. You and know what?
2: Every- I, I I we've only got like two minutes left. Oh, I'm going to shut up now. Thank <laughs> you, and I want to remind us again of the May 6th event No More Divide and Conquer Let's Tell the Real Story it's a three hour event that can really change our world and it's from 10am to 1pm Pacific Time in person at the San Diego uh, Church of the Brethren or anywhere online and we would love to have you come and talk uh, and process and you know, f- experience the, the wonders of coming together in an open, honest, and compassionate conversation. And Claire Brown, the UC Berkeley uh, economist that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week. Uh, it was last it, week. <laughs> yeah, my mind is gone. Anyway, <laughs> she had some wonderful perspectives, and she and Beth had a great conversation that will be televised. and then we will have uh, a process led by Beth and we welcome you all and I would like to hear Todd about next week's show
0: Yes, here's what's happening next week It's so related Conscious consumerism Mm. Is this really a thing or is it an urban legend that we'd like to believe is true in order to assuage our guilt Mm. It feels good to recycle buy local and verify that our clothing brand has sustainable practices but are we really making a difference? What could have a larger impact? What can we actually do that will impact the economy and the environment in a positive way supporting sustainability? Join co-hosts Chris Reese and Helen Hillocks as they interview Alden Wicker, the founder of EcoCult, a leading, lifestyle, a leading sustainable lifestyle blog, and a freelance journalist who has been featured in Newsweek, Quartz, and many other publications. Alden provides an informed and compassionate perspective, and she urges us to take action. Listen in and join the inner revolution where we question everything and are often surprised and inspired with the outcome.
1: Mm. Love it. It sounds like it's going to be a great
2: show, guys. She's she's a very young, energetic, and passionate woman, and it's a a wonderful conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. And Beth, thank you as always. Your insights are so, so radical, even (laughs) though, you know, but we need it. We yes. need that radical voice, but it's so down-to-earth and so practical and so compassionate, and as usual, it's been just a delight having you on the show, and thank you so much for all you do for all of us.
1: Well, thank you, and no more divide and conquer means that we realize that we are all really workers in this system, and we're all really consumers, and we all really need to regenerate, and let's create a, a universe that supports that. I agree, amen. yes, thank amen. you. amen. Okay, thank you. Thank you so thank much. You.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.